So hear this as we gather our, our thoughts this evening. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, and all your waves and all your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds and weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when I was, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. But I vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. We could say God sent a fish with power to save from guilt and darkness and the grave. That was true for Jonah, but that is as nothing in comparison to what we're about to sing in the final verse of our opening hymn. He sent his son with power to save from guilt and darkness in the grave, wonders of grace to God belong. Repeat his mercies in your song. Well, good evening. It's wonderful to be back in the book of Jonah. It feels like a little while. Uh, and here we are. And we're now in chapter 3, and Craig very helpfully for us read chapter 1 and chapter 3 alongside each other, which means I'm not going to do a big recap. I'm going to assume that if you're watching Netflix, you're the kind of person that clicks the skip recap button, because who can be bothered watching the recap all the time? Uh, but we've looked at themes so far, such as obedience and disobedience, sovereignty and intervention, discipline and repentance, prayer and praise. We've looked at an awful lot of stuff in just a few short verses in chapters 1 and 2. And I want to take you back to the good old days, my seventh birthday, which would be 2001. And I was given a Game Boy Advance. And this is the sort of picture you would see. And you'd have it, there was no light, so you had to sit under a light to be able to see it, because there was no light in the background. Uh, and you used to have to Mario, you were trying to rescue the princess at the end. It was very hard. I, I, I've always been rubbish at any of these sort of games. And normally I'd play it, get about 10% of the way through, put it in a drawer and never come back to it. But what would happen here is you would go and you would get as far as you could. And then normally I would fail. And you'd go to the last checkpoint and you'd start again. And if I could ever sum up what it was like playing video games as a kid... It was failing or somebody dying and something not going very well. And you would have to start again and again and, and again. And I guess as we come to Jonah, we're coming to him being reset to his last checkpoint by Jesus, by God, because he failed miserably, as we saw in chapter 1. He's been set this task. He's been given this job, go to Nineveh go and take my message, and he didn't do that, he rebelled. And God has taken him and used the journey that he's been on 
This incredible trauma, really, and then this incredible repentance and restoration and brought him to this point at chapter 3. And there's almost a sense as, as we enter chapter 3 in the way it's so similarly written to the beginning of chapter 1 that this is the Lord saying to Jonah, let's start again, shall we? And it's this reminder that God is not a God of no chances. He's not just a God of second, third, fourth, fifth chances, but this is a God full of grace. And even for this rebellious prodigal prophet, here we are. You'll notice as you read these side by side, there are incredible similarities in verse in chapter 1 and chapter 3. We have the word, simply. We have the word that is to Jonah. We have the word that is to go out from Jonah. We have the message that goes. We have the response of Jonah. We have the word of warning that he will share. And then we have the response of the pagans. We have the response in chapter 1 uh, of the sailors. And then we have the response of those in Nineveh that would follow. So we're very simply going to take this. We're not going to spend a huge amount of time looking at the response, but I want to dive a bit into the word this evening and dive into what was it and how did God speak to Jonah? And then how was the word that was given directly from God to Jonah then conveyed to the pagans? And we'll spend the littlest time in point four because next week is all about that reaction. Next week is about the most stunning of reactions in the land of Nineveh. So I want to think for a moment about how the prophets received the words of God. What does it mean? Then the words of the Lord came to Jonah. Well, I think Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1 very helpfully set something out for us. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 20. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter is referring as he speaks of the, the, uh, the, the, the prophecy that's gone before. He's speaking of the prophecy of Scripture, the prophecy of the Old Testament, what we see, and he's saying there is weight here. There is importance here. Because really, it would be easy for anybody to stand and claim they have a message from God. And there are many. There are many in our day and age who would say, I have heard from the Lord, the Lord has told me. But in ancient Israel, you would think twice before making that claim. Because to make that claim, and to claim to have heard from the Lord, well, the penalty of being a false prophet was stoning. So you would think incredibly carefully, before uttering those words, the Lord has said, thus saith the Lord, whatever it might be, claiming that you have a word from God. If you had done that, you might have been hauled up before the elders. And if they had concluded that you were claiming God's authority for words that had come out of your own ideas and your own mouth, you certainly wouldn't be making any more statements ever again about what you think the Lord has told you. And God's people had an understanding that there was a difference between the thoughts and the sayings of man and the word of God. There was a huge and marked difference between words that had come from the lips of God and that which men had said. 
And I just want us to understand a little of that distinction so that we can understand the power with which the word is going forth here. I have no idea of the number, but there are a lot of books published. I don't know if you've ever stu I studied anything, but there are remarkably big books written about not very much. There are remarkably big books that you start to read and think, how on earth did this ever get published? There are, I don't even know how many millions of books that could possibly exist, but there's a lot of philosophical books that will give you an interpretation of what life is all about. There will be political views, a political lens that will look at life, whether it be uh, this communist view or a fascist view or somewhere in the middle, a view of what life is all about. There'll be religious views. Pick your world religion. There will be views of what life is all about. And it's only natural for people in amongst a library full of books with thousands of years worth of knowledge and experience to stick the Bible on a shelf in the middle of that library and say, here is another book. But what Peter says to us is scripture isn't like that. Scripture is not the words of some people put together, slotted on a shelf between some academia textbook. It is not some book to be put in the middle of the philosophy of life section or the world religion section. Why? Because Scripture is different. Those words of Peter carried along by the wind of the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1, 21. And if we look at, interestingly at what Luke says in Acts 27, he says, verse 15, he says, And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. This, this idea of being driven along, this ship being driven along, is the same words that are being used for um, being the prophets being carried along by Scripture, uh, by, by the Spirit, by God Himself. There's this idea that they are being carried, that there's nothing they can really do about it, because it is God Himself that is acting. Just as the direction of the boat in Acts 27 was controlled by the wind, the words of the prophets were controlled by the Spirit. So what we come to then is when, when, when Jonah receives the word and Jonah relays the word, what we're saying is that he did not control the message. What we're saying is the message controlled him. It came to him from God. So when we read of the scriptures, if we read of, as we'll touch on in a second, the God-breathed words, we are reading the very words that God would have for us. And we begin to understand that the words that we read do not belong to, to Jonah or to any other person who wrote a book of the Bible, does not belong to them, but it is God-breathed out words. You know, there's an analogy of elephants and ants. I don't know if you know this analogy. But we're all a bit like ants on the back of an elephant. Each of the ants has a perception of the elephant. 
Some may see a bit of tusk. Some may see a bit of foot. Most probably see a massive back and not much else. Maybe you get a wee glimpse of the tail. But at the end of the day, the elephant is just too big for any of the ants to know. And it would not be possible for an ant to comprehend what this elephant looks like from a distance, not be able to comprehend what every part of this elephant does. And the point of the analogy is we are like ants, scratching around with our tiny insights and thoughts about God, who is ultimately unknowable. That would be this idea of, of, of Christianity fitting into a philosophy section. We're all just ants trying to scratch the back of an elephant and work out what on earth it is. But what if that elephant could speak a language that the ants would understand? What if the elephant could say to the ants, let me tell you about my trunk and my tusks and my tail. Let me tell you about things that you have never seen. What if that elephant was to say to those ants, let me tell you where I'm going and what I'm going to do? Well, you would put those words of the elephant into a totally different category than you would put the words of the ants, wouldn't you? And this is precisely what the Bible claims. It precisely claims God has spoken about himself. It's not our words about God. It's not like we are ants and God is an elephant and we're just saying things about him that we hope might be true from our own perception. But we're saying the elephant, God has spoken. So the audible word of God, carried along by the Holy Spirit, was given to Jonah, arise. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. His response is a bit different to the first time round. Chapter 1, chapter 3, verse 2 is virtually identical. Verse 3 couldn't be more different. Verse 3 of chapter 1. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Verse 3 of chapter 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. I could spend so long here. I'm not, we'll just look at it briefly Chapter 1, he was in rebellion to the word. Chapter 3, he was living and acting according to the word. It has taken some journey. He could have been in Nineveh far quicker. He could have avoided all the trauma of the fish and everything else that went with it. If only he had obeyed in the first place. But he didn't, but God wasn't finished with him. Despite his disobedience, God was not finished with him. And finally, Jonah is on the right path. We've seen this great redemption story unfold before us. We've seen how this prodigal prophet was not prepared to go. But now we see through the lessons that he has learned from what God has done to him and for him, now he is ready to go. So the word to the pagans, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. This certainly is no prophet of prosperity anymore. This brother is now not proclaiming 
uh, that the boundaries of Israel are going to increase. This is no longer the loved man. This is a man going into the heart of the Assyrian Empire, going into such an evil place, a wicked land, and here he goes for the Lord to bring judgment. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He's saying to them, whatever you are doing now, you need to realize soon that you're going to face judgment. And judgment is coming soon. And it's a reminder to us that you can defy God for a while, but in the end you will face him. And that day is nearer than you think. And for the Ninevites, it was 40 days. 40 days in Nineveh will be overturned. When I first came to this, and if I thought of Jonah, I thought, I find it amazing that the Lord uses such, such, such what sounds like and what is written in front of us, such a rubbish warning for the people. But I'm now convinced, actually, that, that this isn't all that Jonah said. This is just the, the synopsis of what he'd given to them. But I think Jonah shared his story with them. I think he shared the story of God's grace in his life and how God has used what happened to him for their eternal good and for his eternal good. And I think he shared his journey that brought him to Nineveh. And now I'll try and back that up. Verse 9, if you would turn with me. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we might not perish. Words of the king. Where does he get this idea? Where does he get this idea that God might be gracious and merciful to them? Where does he get this idea that, that, that from this abstract uh, prophecy of just these few words right here, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. This, this, this prophecy of, of destruction and judgment that's to come. Where from that does he get the idea that there may be something else for these people? Well, I think it's because it was shared with him. Where does he get any idea that there was mercy and compassion from God? But I think the king is speaking in light of knowing Jonah's story. And he's saying if God could save Jonah, perhaps he might have compassion on us. And I think the second reason that he shared more of his story, Luke 11.30, you don't need to turn there. Um, For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Jonah himself was a sign to the Ninevites. It wasn't just the message that he brought that was assigned to them, but it was himself and his experience that was assigned to the people. We might say it was just his preaching and the words that he says, but Jesus then continues to go on, words we've quoted a few times in Matthew 12, but he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. They seek a sign, but no sign will be given to them except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites. He was a sign to say God can be gracious and merciful and compassionate, and I'm living proof of it. 
I shouldn't be here. I was plunging to the depths with seaweed wrapped around my neck like a stone I was sinking to the bottom, to the pit. I do not deserve to be here. But God is compassionate and gracious and here I am. I imagine that Jonah's proclamation to these people would have been electric because it was fueled with such passion born out of his own experience. Judgment is coming, yet he had known judgment, yet he had found mercy. So when he says 40 more days and Nineveh will be destroyed, he's saying, I know what I'm talking about. Let me tell you what happened to me. I have worshipped the God I'm telling you about all of my life, but when he called to me, I refused. And I thought I could disobey him and get away with it, so I fled. And I imagine he told that story. That story of everything that had happened to him. And he ends it by saying, look, and now I'm here to come and tell you that yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. God uses flawed messengers who know grace. God uses flawed people. He will use what he has been doing in your life as a means of reaching others because God never wastes a thing. There is a reality that he uses our failures, our traumas, our shame, desperate moments in our life to advance the gospel. Sinclair Ferguson puts it beautifully. He says this, The jewels of spiritual service are always quarried in the depths of spiritual experience. The jewels of spiritual service are always quarried in the depths of spiritual experience experience. So the word has gone forth. The word has come to Jonah. It's dwelt in him richly. He has delivered it to the Ninevites. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. I have those words ringing in my ears from from first peter the end of chapter one this morning but the word of the lord remains forever and this word is the good news that was preached to you now obviously this message isn't the gospel of the crucified and risen christ but it is the news of a merciful god who will not destroy evildoers who deserve destruction if they would believe in him that's the message that Jonah takes to the people. They have heard the word, not any word, not a word from Jonah, not a word plucked out the shelf of a library, but words from the very heart of God himself, and they believed. They didn't believe because Jonah was special, but they believed because the Holy Spirit gives weight to the words. And through its living power, God changed the hearts of people who previously had no interest in the things of God. The power of what God can do through his word is astounding. 
and we're going to come next week and we're going to look at corporate repentance of uh, verses 6 to the end there to verse 10. Incredible. You imagine what it would look like in our own nation. We hear stories of revivals in Dagon Pass when we hear of pockets of this sort of thing, of groups of people coming together before the Word of God, utterly convicted by the Spirit and believing in Him. Do you know, I think we live in pressure times in the church to make sure that our words are relevant. And I think the argument is simple. People are not interested. People aren't interested in sitting here. People aren't interested in church as it's been done for centuries, but they need something different. People aren't really interested in thinking about eternity. We've got to start where people are and connect with them. We've got to give people something they can relate to. And of course, that's good. Our preaching should be relevant and it should be helpful for where people are at. But relevance and connection are not our primary goal in the preaching of the word. Why? Because unbelievers have little interest in hearing the gospel because they don't want it and they can't understand it. We find it, don't we? 2 Corinthians 4, 4. That unbelievers have been, are kept from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. And it asks the question, why don't we see this go on that is happening in Jonah? Why don't we see Jonah 3 level revival, mass conversion on this sort of scale in our day and age? Well, I don't know, friends. But what I do know is when Christ is lifted up, he draws people to himself. What I do know is that God uses the proclamation of Jesus Christ as Lord to let light shine in the darkness. A couple of verses down there in 2 Corinthians 4, he has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we are met then with this great paradox, really, of Christian ministry that says we're preaching what people do not understand. We're taking into our ministries and into our homes and into our friends and into our neighbors a message that is totally alien because that is what the gospel is. But when we proclaim the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ through our own experiences at times as Jonah has done, the Lord honors that. But we know fine well that not everyone who hears the gospel will be saved. We know that. And what the Lord did in Nineveh is, by any standards, utterly extraordinary. So we do need to be careful as we apply this story. We do. Because I don't think we look at this and build our pattern of ministry to say, well, ministry is one man proclaiming a message reduced into a single sentence, like we read there in Uh, the verse before. But we rely more and more and more upon the Holy Spirit who transforms lives through the Word. It is good, friends, for us to engage people where they're at. It's good for us to seek to understand people's circumstances so that we might draw alongside them. But we know that it is the Word itself that brings life. That our duty is to pray that we might see 
marks of repentance. And we know that God's word, the living, breathing word of God, is the seed that brings new life. It is the milk that nurtures both the young and the meat that sustains the old. So I guess then as we come to the end of these five verses in Jonah, what do I learn? The word of God is incredible. The word of God moves and works in ways that I cannot fathom. And it is hard for us to picture this scene. But what we would do to see the scenes of Nineveh on the streets of Scotland. What we would do to see sinners come before a holy and righteous God, recognizing that judgment day is one day coming and that they can stand before him blameless and slates wiped clean because of the work of the Lord Jesus at Calvary. Jonah had a word from God. He was faithful to it. He delivered it. Life on an incredible level was changed here in Nineveh. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is alive, that your word is active throughout this world. People are coming to an owing and saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, not because the preacher was really, really good, not because the friend that shared with them the good news was a really, really good friend, but because your spirit is at work, that your word is convicting, that your word is regenerating. We thank you, Lord, that we can rejoice in the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we know deep in the depths of who we are, that you are who you say you are and you have done what you have said you have done. We long to see others come to know that. We long to see our friends and our families, our neighbors and our colleagues that do not yet know you come to know you. Lord, would we be faithful in our prayers for them? Would we be intentional in our opportunities? And might we see you at work amongst us. Amen.